Good morning and welcome to another episode of Mormon Sunday School with Radio Free Mormon. This is episode number four. It's lesson number four in the Come Follow Me manual, where we're studying the Book of Mormon this year in the regular curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Let me put my screen up here where it shows the number four there in the um, in the star in the upper left. It is Mormon Sunday School with Radio Free Mormon, where you learn stuff you're never going to hear in regular Sunday school. And that is definitely true of today's show. I'm very excited about presenting you this show. It is based upon original research that I did a while back. Once again, it's from the Come Follow Me manual, LDS Church, Book of Mormon, 1 Nephi, 11 through 15, lesson number four, covering January 22nd through 28th of 2024. All right, let's get started with this, shall we? I'm going to go over here to my screen where I can see my slides in a different place. And let's go to the first thing. Yes, once again, it's about Lehi's dream. Now, I want you to bear with me because this is going to be extremely significant, I think. And it's something you may likely not have heard before, whether you are an active Mormon or not in the Mormon church anymore. So we're going to go over some fundamentals here and some basics. I'm going to do it as quickly as possible in five minutes or so. And then we're going to get on to the really, really good stuff. But we got to do the basics first. So please bear with me. Now, this is a depiction of Lehi's dream of the tree of life. It is called The Love of God. It's by the artist Sabrina Squires. I wanted to make sure and gave her a shout out because I absolutely love this picture of the tree of life. And once again, we covered the tree of life from one perspective in the last episode where we compared Nephi's dad's dream of the tree of life with Joseph Smith's dad's dream of the tree of life. We're going to take a very different tack on it today. Nephi's vision of the future is what is the main focus of the material. It covers 1 Nephi 11 through 14. Those are the chapters that cover Nephi's vision of the future, and he gets a huge panoramic vision of the future. And before he gets that, he is swept away up by the Spirit of God to a very high mountain, an exceedingly high mountain. So I've got a high mountain here as a picture. That's Mount Rainier, and that's pretty darn high. You can see a lot of stuff from up there, and Nephi saw a lot of stuff too. Okay, so the overview of Lehi's dream of the tree of life, as recorded in 1 Nephi 8, Lehi is given a divine dream, the centerpiece of which is the tree of life. Upon the tree's branches grow, grows white fruit. Upon the tree's branches grow white fruit, hmm. which is delicious to the taste. From the base of the tree of life flows a fountain of pure water. Leading up to the tree of life is a straight and narrow path. Alongside and running parallel to the straight and narrow path is a rod of iron, placed there for the purpose of guiding hapless pilgrims who are from time to time overcome by mists of darkness while making their journey to the tree of life. The point at which the path and the rod begin is described as a large and spacious field. On this field are great multitudes of people, many of whom are going forth to take hold of the rod of iron and begin their way along the path toward the tree of life. Running near the tree of life is a river of filthy water, not to be confused with the fountain of pure water flowing from the base of the tree. Beyond the filthy water is a great and spacious building, filled to the brim with people wearing fancy clothes and making snide comments and mocking gestures at those who are partaking of the fruit of the tree of life. So there's my synopsis of Lehi's dream of the tree of life. 
Now, the common understanding of these symbols we hear about all the time in church, and I'm going to put it out there just so you can understand that this is one understanding of the symbolism of Lehi's dream of the tree of life. Number one, the tree of life represents the love of God, as does also the fountain of living waters. And I've got the references up there if you want to look them up. The rod of iron represents the word of God. The great and spacious building represents the pride of the world. The river of filthy water represents the depths of hell. And the mists of darkness represent the temptations of the devil. So there's all those references. And those interpretations are specifically given to us in the text of the Book of Mormon. So the lesson that's commonly derived from these symbols, and which you will hear about in regular Sunday school, when all these symbols and their interpretations are put together, the message that is commonly derived is similar to that found in 1 Nephi 15.24. Quote, And I said, this is Nephi speaking or writing, And I said unto Laman and Lemuel that the rod of iron was the word of God, and whoso would hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish. Neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary, i.e. the mists of darkness in the great and spacious building, neither could the darts of the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness to lead them away to destruction, i.e. the river of filthy water. We've all heard this message, this interpretation a million times, but we're going to go beyond that tonight because it is possible that this is just one interpretation of the tree of life dream. And in fact, it may be the most basic interpretation because contextually in 1 Nephi 15, when Nephi is saying this to Laman and Lemuel and giving him, them that interpretation of the tree of life dream, it's because they are so wicked and hard in their hearts that they will not believe the words that their father Lehi had spoken to them. So this is for people who are murmurs, this particular interpretation. Is there another interpretation? Yes, there is. The question now is, but is that all Lehi's dream means? Nephi asks to see the dream of his father, and he receives a vision. That's at the very beginning of 1 Nephi chapter 11. And the overview of Nephi's vision of the future is here, all right? So we've got the dream of Lehi in 1 Nephi 8, and now we've got Nephi's vision in 1 Nephi 11 through 14, and I just want to review it by means of the head notes. So this is what his vision covers, Nephi's vision covers. Chapter 11, Nephi sees the Spirit of the Lord and is shown in vision the tree of life. He sees the mother of the Son of God and learns of the condescension of God. He sees the baptism, ministry, and crucifixion of the Lamb of God. He sees also the call and ministry of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That's all in chapter 11. Going to chapter 12, Nephi sees in vision the land of promise, the righteous iniquity and downfall of its inhabitants. Excuse me, it should be righteousness, iniquity and downfall of its inhabitants. The coming of the Lamb of God among them, how the 12 disciples and the 12 apostles will judge Israel and the loathsome and filthy state of those who dwindle in unbelief, i.e. that's going to be the Lamanites after the final great war where they totally beat out the Nephites. Going to chapter 13. In overview, Nephi sees in vision the church of the devil set up among the Gentiles, the discovery and colonizing of America, the loss of many plain and precious parts of the Bible, the resultant state of Gentile apostasy, the restoration of the gospel, the coming forth of Latter-day Scripture, and the building up of Zion. And finally, chapter 14, what will be covered 
by Nephi and what he sees in this vision. An angel tells Nephi of the blessings and cursings to fall upon the Gentiles. There are only two churches, the church of the Lamb of God and the church of the devil. The saints of God in all nations are persecuted by the great and abominable church. The apostle John will write concerning the end of the world. So that's the overview. You can see it covers everything from Nephi's day down to the last days. And it covers it not only on the American continent where Nephi is presented as writing from, but also over on the European continent. Now, this is the thesis of what I'm going to be presenting today. In 1 Nephi 11 through 14 is recorded Nephi's great panoramic vision of the future, beginning with the birth of the Savior and mortality and culminating with the final destruction of the wicked at his second coming. This vision has generally been seen as unrelated to the interpretation of Lehi's dream of the tree of life, the vision being considered a bonus given to Nephi in addition to the dream's interpretation. But here we have the thesis in this final paragraph. It is the thesis of this paper and this podcast, however, that such is not the case, but rather that the entire panoramic vision of the future received by Nephi was itself a divine and expansive interpretation of Lehi's dream of the tree of life. And I'm going to be spending the rest of the time arguing that thesis and presenting evidence for why I believe that thesis is correct because the text really does seem to support it. Let's go on now. So let's go with symbol number one, all right? Symbol number one with its interpretation, the tree, the tree of life, right? So in First Nephi 11, 8, and it came to pass that the spirit said unto me, Nephi speaking, look, and I looked and beheld a tree. And it was like unto the tree which my father had seen. And the beauty thereof was far beyond, yea, exceeding of all beauty. And the whiteness thereof did exceed the whiteness of the driven snow. And it came to pass, after I had seen the tree, I said unto the spirit, I behold, thou hast shown unto me the tree which is precious above all. And he said unto me, What desirest thou? And I said unto him, To know the interpretation thereof. So right after Nephi sees the tree that his father saw, and it is shown unto him by the spirit of the Lord, Nephi wants to know, What's the interpretation? What does this tree mean? And immediately after that, we have in verse 13, and it came to pass that I looked and beheld the great city of Jerusalem and also other cities. And I beheld the city of Nazareth. And in the city of Nazareth, I beheld a virgin and she was exceeding, exceedingly fair and white. And it came to pass that I saw the heavens open and an angel came down and stood before me. And he said unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? And I said unto him, a virgin, most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. Now notice, this is what Nephi is being shown in vision immediately after he asks to know the interpretation of the tree of life. That's significant because that is the interpretation of the tree of life given to Nephi in his vision. And it starts his panoramic vision, which takes up four chapters. This came to me in a very interesting way. And it came to me in the year 2000, at the very beginning of the year, when the course of study was once again the Book of Mormon, it being 24 years ago. And I had a complete set of illustrated stories from the Book of Mormon. And this right here is the first volume in that set. And it takes the stories from the Book of Mormon from beginning to end. 
And it tells them in an abbreviated way, good for children, but also there's lots of wonderful chalk drawings in this book. By the way, this is the actual book right here that I'm holding. And I'm going to show how it was that by reading through this book, I'd never looked through it before. And I don't think I've looked through any of the other ones actually. But I did look at this one and read it to my children. And I was astonished by what happened when I did so because this realization came to me that I don't know if it would have come to me in any other way, but it came to me visually instead of examining the text in this case. So here's the inside front page of the illustrated stories from the Book of Mormon. I put it up there because it's volume two and Raymond H. Jacobs is the artist. I wanna give him a shout out since I'll be using a number of his drawings, his chalk drawings and artwork from inside this book as we go along. Now here is Nephi over here on the right. He's up there on the top of the mountain. He sees this tree, this big white tree. And it's at the point in the narrative at the beginning of 1 Nephi 11 that we've already gone over. And you see over here is the text that's on the opposing page of this drawing. Then the spirit spoke to me, asking me, asking me what it was I wanted. I answered that I wanted to see the vision that my father had seen. And it goes on and it talks about after you've seen the tree, you, sh you shall be given a sign. You shall see a man descending from heaven, and you shall bear witness that it is the Son of God. All this directly quoted from the Book of Mormon. The Spirit said, look, and I saw a tree like the one my father had seen. It was very beautiful, and its fruit was whiter than the driven snow. We already read that. I'm emphasizing that to, once again, underscore the description that is given of the tree in the Book of Mormon. And we can see in the picture, indeed, it is very much whiter than the driven snow. Then I turned two pages, not the very next page, but two pages, and what I saw shocked me. Because once again, we have Nephi down here on the top of the mountain, and he's looking up, and he's seeing Mary, the mother of the Son of God, who is dressed in white, and he's looking up at her in the same kind of direction that he was looking up at the tree of life. And all of a sudden, it hit me over the head. Mary is the tree of life. She is the interpretation of the tree of life. And that's why it was that when Nephi asked to see the vision of the tree and he's shown the tree, he asked to know the interpretation. And this is exactly what he has shown in vision because this is the interpretation. So on the opposing page of this drawing, we have this quote from 1 Nephi 11, 13 through 19. And there was Nazareth, and in Nazareth I saw a virgin who was very fair and white. The heavens opened, and an angel came down and stood before me. He said, Nephi, the beautiful virgin that you see is the mother of the Son of God. Then I saw her carried away in the Spirit. So here are those two pages put side by side that hit me over the head with the idea that Nephi, seeing the vision of the tree of life, and over here on the right, Nephi seeing Mary, the mother of the Son of God, all dressed in white. She is the interpretation. Notice the similar language to describe the tree and to describe Mary. From 1 Nephi 11, verse 13. And it came to pass that I looked and beheld the great city of Jerusalem and also other cities. And I beheld the city of Nazareth. And in the city of Nazareth, I beheld a virgin and she was exceedingly fair and white. And then verse 15, and I said unto him, a virgin, he says, what do you see? He says, a virgin, most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. 
So we have three descriptors. We've got fair, we've got uh, white, and we've got beautiful. Now look at the description of the tree of life that Nephi is shown in response to his request to know the interpretation thereof. And it came to pass that the spirit said unto me, look, and I beheld, I, and I looked and beheld a tree, and it was like unto the tree which my father had seen, and the beauty, okay, there's the first connecting word, right? The beauty thereof was far beyond, yea, exceeding of all beauty. And the whiteness thereof did exceed the whiteness of the driven snow. So we've got beauty and we've got whiteness, both being used to describe not only the tree of life that Nephi has shown, but also the virgin, the mother of God, Mary, that he has shown in response to his request to know the interpretation of the tree. And then in verse 9, and it came to pass after I had seen the tree, I said unto the spirit, I behold, thou hast shown unto me the tree, which is precious above all. So I think that's pretty much a lock on this, that indeed the Book of Mormon presents the tree of life in Nephi's vision in 1 Nephi 11 as representing Mary, the mother of the Son of God. It is shown to him in direct response to his request to know the interpretation of the tree and virtually identical language is used to describe both the tree and the virgin that Nephi is shown. Symbol number two with interpretation is the white fruit. Of course, the tree bears the white fruit that is desirable above all. And the whole goal is to make it to the tree so you can eat the fruit and thereby symbolically attain eternal life. But the white fruit is Jesus. The white fruit is specifically here, the baby Jesus. And here's what Nephi has shown in vision. And he said unto me, behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the son of God after the manner of the flesh. And it came to pass that I beheld that she was carried away in the spirit. And after she had been carried away in the spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake unto me saying, look, and I looked and beheld the virgin again, bearing a child in her arms. This is the fruit of the tree. And the angel said unto me, behold, the lamb of God, yea, even the son of the eternal father, knowest thou the meaning of the tree, which thy father saw. So once again, it's being bracketed. Nephi asks to know what the meaning of the tree is. He's shown Mary, the virgin, and the mother of Jesus, all dressed in white and described the same way that the tree is described. And then it shows Jesus being born of Mary. And now it's bookended by the Spirit asking Jesus, do you know the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? All right? So obviously, the intervening material about Mary and about Jesus being born is the interpretation. And verse 22, Nephi writing, and I answered him saying, yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is the most desirable above all things. So we've got the first symbol being the tree represents Mary. The second symbol, the white fruit represents the baby Jesus. Symbol number three, a switch of guides. Now this isn't technically a symbol, but it's very significant. You may have noticed this before when you were reading through the section of the Book of Mormon, because the Spirit of the Lord, the, the, the being identified as the Spirit of the Lord, is the one who initiates the vision. But shortly after the vision begins, the Spirit of the Lord disappears, and an angel of the Lord comes and takes his place as Nephi's guide. That's why I call it a switch of guides. And this is where that happens in 1 Nephi 11. Verse 9, and it came to pass after I had seen the tree, I said unto the spirit, 
I behold, thou hast shown unto me the tree which is precious above all. And he said unto me, What desirest thou? And I said unto him to know the interpretation thereof. Now, once again, this is at the very beginning of the vision before he's shown Mary and the baby Jesus. For I spake unto him as a man speaketh, for I beheld that he was in the form of a man, yet nevertheless I knew that it was the Spirit of the Lord. And he spake unto me as a man speaketh with another. So there he's talking about the Spirit of the Lord. But now there's a switch. In verse 12, And it came to pass that he said unto me, Look, and I looked as if to look upon him, and I saw him not, for he had gone from before my presence. And it came to pass that I looked and beheld the city of Jerusalem, etc., and Nazareth, and he beholds the virgin. She's exceedingly fair and white. And then in verse 14, And it came to pass that I saw the heavens open, and an angel came down and stood before me, and he said unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? And then it goes on with his talking about, I see the virgin, most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. So the switch of guides is extremely significant, I think. And there may be a reason for why these guides switch at this point in the vision, which is very early on. Why is there a change of guides? In the text of Nephi's vision, this change occurs early on and right before, this is important, right before Nephi sees Mary, the tree, bearing the Christ child, the fruit. If the Spirit of the Lord who commences this vision with Nephi is the pre-mortal Jesus Christ, as some have speculated, it would make good sense for him to disappear from Nephi's side at this point because he is about to enter Nephi's vision itself as the newborn Jesus. That is the explanation that I come up with. I think it's definitely a possibility because there's obviously a change of guides. We can read that in the text and we must ask ourselves, why? Why isn't, just the, why isn't it just the spirit of the Lord, the same being who takes them all the way through from the beginning to the end? And why is there this change of guides? And this is the conclusion that I suggest. Because Nephi's about to see the, the interpretation of the tree, see that it's Mary, see that she's bearing a son. And right before that happens, the spirit leaves him and an angel comes down and picks up where the spirit left off. So I think it's possible it's because the spirit is just about to enter the vision as the baby Jesus. And that's why he leaves Jesus aside, uh, excuse me, Nephi's side at this point. So in Lehi's dream, the tree of life bears the fruit necessary for salvation. And in Nephi's vision, the Virgin Mary bears the Christ child necessary for salvation. This part seems pretty clear to me. Symbol number four, the iron rod or the rod of iron. First Nephi 1124. Okay, excuse me. <clears throat> and after he had said these words, he said unto me, look, and I looked and I beheld the son of God going forth among the children of men. So he's already been born now. We're past that part, but we're still in Nephi 11. First Nephi 11. Look, and I looked, and I, and I beheld the Son of God going forth among the children of men, and I saw many fall down at his feet and worship him. And it came to pass that I beheld that the rod of iron, which my father had seen, was the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. That's one of his names. That's one of his most famous names, thanks to the prologue of John's Gospel, chapter 1. He is synonymous with the word of God. There are other things that can be called the word of God, the scriptures, can be called the word of God, but we definitely know that Jesus is being called the word of God. And interestingly, in the context of 
being shown Nephi's earthly ministry in vision. Nephi in the text relates it to the rod of iron, which my father had seen and gives the interpretation that it was the word of God. It's not the word of God in the vacuum in the vision. This is the word of God. This is Jesus. And the interpretation of this rod of iron, the word of God, is Jesus's earthly ministry. Symbol number four, once again, the same symbol in verse 31. And he spake unto me again, saying, Look, and I looked, and I beheld the Lamb of God going forth among the children of men. And I beheld multitudes of people who were sick and who were afflicted with all manner of diseases and with devils and unclean spirits. And the angel spake and showed all these things unto me. And they were healed by the power of the Lamb of God. And the devils and the unclean spirits were cast out. So there's the ministry of Jesus being seen in vision. And I am postulating that that is an interpretation of the rod of iron, which is the word of God, which is Jesus. Symbol number five. By the way, if you go back, actually, I'll leave it here, okay? Because in this passage, 1 Nephi eleven twenty-five, there's not just one symbol, the word of God. There are three symbols that are lumped together in this verse, three symbols from Lehi's dream. So he sees the word of God, which led to the fountain of living water. So living waters is the second element or to the tree of life, which waters are a representation of the love of God. And I also beheld that the tree of life was a representation of the love of God. Oh, I think we'll get to the third one here later. But in addition to the rod of iron, we have the living waters. And what is it that Nephi sees immediately after the, the, the living waters are mentioned by him? And I looked and beheld the Redeemer of the world, of whom my father had spoken, and I also beheld the prophet who should prepare the way before him. And the Lamb of God went forth and was baptized of him. And where was Jesus baptized? Well, he was baptized in a river of water called the Jordan. So I'm proposing that this is an interpretation of the river of water from Lehi's dream, i.e. Jesus's baptism. And the Lamb of God went forth and was baptized of him. And after he was baptized, I beheld the heavens open and the Holy Ghost came down out of heaven and abide upon him in the form of a dove. Here's that drawing from the same children's book, the illustrated stories from the Book of Mormon. And there it says, then the prophet who would prepare the way for him baptized the Redeemer of the world. Then the Holy Ghost came down upon the Redeemer in the form or sign of a dove. By the way, I was, I think I said earlier that these passages, these brief passages from the illustrated stories from the Book of Mormon are quotes from the Book of Mormon. I think that's not correct. They're actually synopses of the passages that are referred to underneath it. But there's the picture of Nephi looking up, seeing Jesus getting baptized in the river of water. And my thesis is that this is the interpretation of the river of water from Lehi's dream, at least at this point in the vision, because these elements from Lehi's dream can have multiple applications and multiple interpretations, and we'll see some of that as we go along. Symbol number six, the tree of life again, okay? So the tree of life, we've already seen it was Mary. It was the virgin. It was the mother of the Son of God, but now it's going to be brought forth again. So when it came to pass, this is still verse 25, and it came to pass that I beheld that the rod of iron, which my father had seen, was the word of God. We saw that was Jesus's ministry, which led to the fountain of living waters, which is uh, his baptism. Or to the tree of life, there's the third element, which is contained in 1 Nephi 11.25. So it's not like I'm just going back to 
First Nephi chapter eight and Lehi's dream and pulling these things out and trying to apply them. Nephi's doing that in the text and in the context of the vision he's being given. Nephi is the one who's making these connections. I'm just pointing them out. So the tree of life is the third symbol in this verse. And then he goes, which waters are a representation of the love of God. And I also beheld that the tree of life was a representation of the love of God. Well, what does Nephi see in vision after Jesus gets baptized, after his earthly ministry? What happens at the end of his earthly ministry? Well, Nephi sees him get crucified on a cross. What's a cross made out of? Wood, tree of life, crucifix. Verse 32, and it came to pass that the angel spake unto me, saying, Look, and I looked and beheld the Lamb of God, that he was taken by the people. Yea, the Son of the everlasting God was judged of the world, and I saw him bear record. Verse 33, and I, Nephi, saw that he was lifted up upon the cross, on the cross, and slain for the sins of the world. So here, Nephi's being given the interpretation of the tree of life in his father's dream as being the crucifixion of Jesus Christ at the end of his earthly ministry. And once again, in verse 25 of verse 11, all three of those symbols are clustered together. And then the interpretation is given about Jesus's baptism, his ministry, and his crucifixion. And here's the drawing in this illustrated stories from the Book of Mormon, depicting that, where Jesus is on the cross being crucified. Now, this was symbol number six. Symbol number seven, the great and spacious building. Verse 35, this is still 1 Nephi chapter 11. And the multitude of the earth was gathered together, and I beheld that they were in a large and spacious building, like unto the building which my father saw. It couldn't be any more obvious, the connection that Nephi is drawing between the great and spacious building that his father saw in the dream with this large and spacious building, which he is now seeing in vision. It's the interpretation. And the angel of the Lord spake unto me again, saying, Behold the world and the wisdom thereof. Yea, behold, the house of Israel hath gathered together to fight against the twelve apostles of the Lamb. This is after Jesus is dead. And now the apostles are going to get destroyed by the people in this great and spacious building. And it came to pass that I saw and bear record that the great and spacious building was the pride of the world. That's where we get the understanding that it's the pride of the world. But it's not just the pride of the world in a vacuum. In Nephi's vision, here at this point, it is the multitude, the multitude of the earth being gathered together to fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the angel of the Lord spake unto me, saying, Thus shall be the destruction of all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people that shall fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb, because Nephi sees this building fall in his vision. And there's the drawing of that. From this book. This is an inside view of the great and spacious building. We've got lots of them from the outside, but this is the only one I know that gives us a view from the inside of the great and spacious building. And this is the part of Nephi's vision at the end of chapter 11 that we've been talking about the multitudes of the earth being gathered together to fight against the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And you can see those 12 apostles there in the center, and they're looking kind of worried because it looks like they're outnumbered and they're about to get beat up or worse. Symbol number eight, the three concourses or multitudes of people pressing forward to the tree of life. Now, we have to go back to Lehi's dream. This is incredibly significant. And this is actually the detail 
that first leaped out to me. And I saw the connection from Lehi's dream with Nephi's vision. So there are three concourses pressing forward along the iron rod to get to the tree of life. And this is how they are described in 1 Nephi chapter 8. This is the first concourse of people, all right? Basically, first concourse of people doesn't make it to the tree because of the mists of darkness. And I saw numberless concourses of people, verse 21 in chapter 8, many of whom were pressing forward that they might obtain path which led into the tree by which I stood. And it came to pass that they did come forth and commence in the path which led to the tree. But bad news. It came to pass that there arose a mist of darkness, yea, even an exceedingly great mist of darkness, insomuch that they who had commenced in the path did lose their way, that they wandered off and were lost. So the first multitude doesn't make it to the tree because of the mist of darkness. The second concourse of people are described this way in chapter 8, verse 24. I beheld others pressing forward. I'm just going to drop the it came to passes, if it's okay with you. I beheld others pressing forward, and they came forth and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, and they did press forward through the mists of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, even until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. So, yea, they made it. They made it to the tree, the second concourse of people. And after they had partaken of the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. And then in verse 28, and after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them in the great and spacious building. And they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. So that's the second concourse or multitude of people. They make it to the tree through the mist of darkness, but then they leave, they fall away, they become lost. And the third concourse of people, this is the happy ending. Verses 29 and 30 from 1 Nephi 8. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, this is 1 Nephi 8. And now I, Nephi, he's writing his father's vision. And now I, Nephi, do not speak all the words of my father, but to be short in writing. Behold, he saw other multitudes pressing forward, and they came and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron. And they did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. There's no record of their leaving the tree in Lehi's dream. They remain. They succeed, they are saved, and they don't fall away. So that's the third concourse of people, as described in Lehi's dream. So the synopsis of the three multitudes is, first multitude doesn't make it to the tree of life because they get lost in the midst of darkness. Second multitude makes it to the tree but doesn't stay because of mocking from the building. And the third multitude makes it to the tree and remains. They gain eternal life. So the first multitude in Nephi's vision, what is the interpretation going to be in Nephi's vision of this first multitude? Here it is. And this is going to be in 1 Nephi chapter 12, verse 4. We're out of chapter 11. Now we're into chapter 12 of 1 Nephi, where the focus shifts. And now Nephi is seeing the future of his own inhabitants, not Jesus' ministry, but his own inhabitants on the land of promise and what's going to befall them. And it came to pass that I saw a mist of darkness. Wait a second. We've encountered this before. The mist of darkness from Lehi's dream is now being interpreted here. I saw a mist of darkness on the face of the land of promise. And we know when that happens. That happens when Jesus is about to come and there's all these destructions. And that's what Nephi talks about. 
And I saw lightnings, and I heard thunderings, and earthquakes, and all manner of tumultuous noises. And I saw the earth and the rocks that they rent, and I saw mountains tumbling into pieces, and I saw the plains of the earth that they were broken up. And I saw many cities that they were sunk, and I saw many that they were burned with fire, and I saw many that did tumble to the earth because of the quaking thereof. Now verse 5, and it came to pass, after I saw these things, I saw the vapor of darkness, that's the mist of darkness, the vapor of darkness that it passed from off the face of the earth. And behold, I saw multitudes who had not fallen because of the great and terrible judgments of the Lord. So who are the Nephites who were destroyed in this great calamity and upheaval and earthquake and mist of darkness? Those were the people who are represented by Lehi's dream and the first multitude that they go through the mist of darkness and they get lost. They never even make it to the tree of life. The unrighteous here are the ones who are destroyed. But we know, because it says here in verse 5, and we've read the Book of Mormon, that the righteous are preserved and that they're still around to see Jesus when he drops by a few days later. So here's symbol number 9, mist of darkness, the first multitude. And once again, this is from Lehi's dream, and I'm just going to read verse 23 to refresh our recollection. And it came to pass that there arose a mist of darkness, yea, even an exceedingly great mist of darkness, insomuch that they who had commenced in the path, the first multitude, did lose their way, that they wandered off and were lost. Okay, so that sounds like what Nephi's seeing in his vision. Now the second multitude from Lehi's dream. 1 Nephi 8.24, And it came to pass that I beheld others pressing forward, and they came forth and caught hold of the raw, end of the rod of iron, and they did press forward through the mist of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, even until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. And after they had partaken of the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed, and then they end up leaving. And then we have... The third multitude. Now, I'm going to point this out because I think it's significant. We've already read this, but let's notice now that when we get to the third multitude in Lehi's dream, there's no mention of any mists of darkness. Just that they press forward and they came and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron. And they did press their way forward, holding fast until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. No mention of mist of darkness for the third multitude. Let's go back to the second multitude now. Oh, I have the interpretation of the first multitude. I don't want to beat this horse to death. We've already done that. So let's go to the second multitude now. Once again, in 1 Nephi 12, verse 5. And it came to pass, after I saw these things, I saw the vapor of darkness that it passed from off the face of the earth. And behold, I saw multitudes who had not fallen because of the great and terrible judgments of the Lord. It's the multitude that did not fall that are represented by the second multitude. They make it through the mists of darkness, but they are not dissuaded after they reach the tree. Excuse me, let me say that again. They make it through the mists of darkness, they make it to the tree, they partake of it, and then they fall away. That's the second multitude. And this is what Nephi sees. And the angel said unto me, look, and I looked and beheld three generations pass away in righteousness. This is after Jesus comes and establishes his church, and we have three generations of righteousness, right? They make it to the tree, they partake, they partake of the fruit. 
and their garments were white, even like unto the Lamb of God. Let's go to verse 12. And I, Nephi, also saw many of the fourth generation who passed away in righteousness, and I saw the multitudes of the earth gathered together. And the angel said unto me, Behold thy seed, and also the seed of thy brethren. And it came to pass, I said I wasn't going to say those, came to pass as anymore. And I looked and beheld the people of my seed gathered together in multitudes against the seed of my brethren, and they were gathered together to battle. And we know what happens is the Nephites get exterminated. All right. So this is the second multitude. They make it through the mists of darkness, through those destructions. They obtain the tree. They establish, the Nephites do, a righteous community, but it doesn't last beyond the third generation when they fall away again and they become prideful and they no longer have access to the tree and they fall away from the tree to use the terminology and the symbology from Lehi's dream. Interpretation of the second multitude. And the miss um right, the interpretation of the second multitude. And the mists of darkness are the temptations of the devil, which blindeth the eyes and hardeneth the hearts of the children of men and leadeth them away into broad roads that they perish and are lost. And while the angel spoke these words, I beheld and saw that the seed of my brethren did contend against my seed according to the word of the angel. And because of the pride of my seed and the temptations of the devil, I beheld that the seed of my brethren did overpower the people of my seed. So they do get lost. And the angel said unto me, Behold, these shall dwindle in unbelief. And it came to pass that I beheld after they had dwindled in unbelief, this is talking now about the Lamanites apparently, they became a dark and loathsome and a filthy people full of idleness and all manner of abominations. So that's the end of the vision that Nephi sees, which is an interpretation of the second multitude of Lehi's dream. Let's go to the third multitude, shall we? By the way, we have to skip the entirety of 1 Nephi 13. These last verses here, we're the end of 1 Nephi 12. Now we skip chapter 13 in its entirety to find the third multitude. That's going to be important later as well. So 1 Nephi 14, 17, And when the day cometh that the wrath of God is poured out upon the mother of harlots, he's seeing the last days now, which is the great and abominable church of all the earth, whose founder is the devil, then at that day the work of the Father shall commence in preparing the way for the fulfilling of his covenants, which he hath made to his people who are of the house of Israel. And then John the Revelator is going to write the rest of the vision that was shown to Nephi, because apparently if John's going to write it, Nephi can't. Um, I don't know why that same rule doesn't apply to Isaiah, because Nephi writes an awful lot of Isaiah, copies it down on the plates, even though Isaiah had written it. But this is, I guess, John the Revelator has uh, copyright protection for his revelation that we find is the last book in the Bible. 1 Nephi 14, 19, and I looked and beheld a man, and he was dressed in a white robe. By the way, this is toward the end of chapter 14, which is the end of Nephi's vision. It ends with a handoff to John the Revelator to write what happens in the last days, just preparatory to the coming of Jesus. And the angel said unto me, Behold, one of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, that's the guy who's dressed in a white robe that you see, Behold, he shall see and write the remainder of these things, yea, and also many things which have been. And he shall also write concerning the end of the world. And I, Nephi, heard and bear record that the name of the apostle of the Lamb was John, according to the word of the angel. So now we have to go. See, that's the thing. Because John is now going to write 
what happens at the end of the world, and Nephi's not, we have to skip to the book of Revelation at the end to find the interpretation of the third multitude. And the third multitude is the one that makes it to the tree. No mist of darkness mentioned. This isn't the Nephites at the time of the destructions, right before Jesus came. That's the indication from no mist of darkness. This is the last days. And we find it here in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, interestingly, John has an angelic guide as well, showing him his vision. That sounds kind of like what happened with Nephi. So he says to John, Come hither, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. By the way, that's how Nephi's vision starts. And showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, even though, once again, I'm reading from the book of Revelation. Verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So that's the third multitude. They make it to the tree. There's no mist of darkness. They make it to the tree. They partake of the fruit and they never leave. Symbol number 10 is the Great and Spacious Building. Again, the Great and Spacious Building gets used a number of times. I'm just going to talk about, I think, the second time the Tree of Life gets used multiple times. There are a number of things I could be saying in this podcast, but I want to just hit the major points for you. If you're interested in this, you can pursue it on your own. It's very, very interesting to see. Once you get this idea in your head of how it is that the elements of Lehi's dream are being interpreted for Nephi, in order to constitute the entirety of this panoramic vision he has of the future that comprises four chapters in the Book of Mormon. So the great and spacious building, again, 1 Nephi 14.9, And it came to pass that he said unto me, I said I would not say, and it came to pass. And he said unto me, Look, and behold, that great and abominable church, which is the mother of abominations, whose founder is the devil. Now, it should not be a surprise that if Lehi in his dream sees a great and spacious building, that a church that's called the Great and Abominable Church is probably an interpretation of it because it's almost exactly the same. And it came to pass, verse 15, that I beheld that the wrath of God was poured out upon that great and abominable church insomuch that they were there were wars and rumors of wars among all the nations and kindreds of the earth. So once again, this is the Great and Spacious Building being interpreted as the Great and Abominable Church in Nephi's vision. We see in Lehi's dream, it's the great and spacious building. In Nephi's vision, it's the great and abominable church. And that's symbol number 10. So now we get to the question, which I hinted at before. Why does the third multitude skip 1 Nephi 13? The first two multitudes pressing forward are covered in 1 Nephi 12. The third multitude is not covered until 1 Nephi 14. The interpretation of Lehi's dream skips 1 Nephi 13 entirely because it goes right from the second multitude to the third multitude. But between the second and the third multitude, you've got all of chapter 13. 
because we have the first two multitudes in chapter 12 and the last multitude, the third multitude, in chapter 14. What about chapter 15? Or, excuse me, what about chapter 13? Remarkably, and I mean remarkably, Lehi's dream actually accounts for this missing material. Remember what we read. We've read this before. Now it should make more sense. Because 1 Nephi 8.28 talks about the second multitude, and after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them, and they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. That's the second multitude. Now look at verse 29. And now I, Nephi, do not speak all the words of my father. And then in verse 30, he goes right into the third multitude, which we've read before. Lehi's dream being recounted by Nephi in 1 Nephi 8 makes a point of stating that between the second and third multitude, Nephi is not speaking all the words of his father. In other words, he's not saying everything that his dad talked about in his dream. Nephi actually tells us when recounting his father's dream that he is omitting material between the second and third multitudes from the dream. But when we look at Nephi's vision, there is an entire chapter, 13, separating the interpretation of the second multitude and the third multitude. My proposal is this. First Nephi 13 is the interpretation of that part of Lehi's dream, which Nephi does not record in 1 Nephi 8. In other words, we have the interpretation of the missing part of Lehi's dream in 1 Nephi 13, but Nephi omits that part of his father's dream in 1 Nephi 8 that is being interpreted in 1 Nephi 13. So, proposal. If we know, which I think we've demonstrated, if we know what the interpretation of the missing section of Lehi's dream is in 1 Nephi 13, right? That's the interpretation. We just don't have the dream itself. Is it possible to attempt a reconstruction of the missing part of Lehi's dream from its interpretation, approaching it the same way that we've approached the rest of the elements that are shown in Lehi's dream and interpreted in Nephi's vision? All right. So reconstructing the missing portion of Lehi's dream, proposal number one. I have three proposals. First Nephi 13.4. Remember, now we're into First Nephi 13, the part that's not reflected in Lehi's dream. And it came up. Uh, nope. I saw among the nations of the Gentiles the formation of a great church. Remember, that's the great and abominable church once again being used in order to interpret. And the angel said unto me, Behold the formation of a church which is most abominable above all other churches, which slayeth the saints of God, yea, and tortureth them, and bindeth them down, and yoketh them with a yoke of iron, and bringeth them down into captivity. I beheld this great and abominable church, and I saw the devil that he was the founder of it. Proposal. This would be another interpretation of the great and spacious building from Lehi's dream. Okay? That makes sense. Proposal number two. From 1 Nephi 13, 8, And the angel spake unto me, saying, Behold, the gold and the silver and the silks and the scarlets and the fine twined linen and the precious clothing and the harlots are the desires of this great and abominable church. And also for the praise of the world do they destroy the saints of God and bring them down into captivity. Now look at verse 10. And it came to pass that I looked and beheld many waters. 
and they divided the Gentiles from the seed of my brethren. Proposal number two, the many waters dividing the Gentiles in Europe from the Lamanites in the Americas, which is what it's dividing at this point in its vision, is another interpretation of the river of water from Lehi's dream. Remember, the interpretation of the rod of iron, at least the first two multitudes, relate to Nephi's descendants. So the rod of iron is in the Western Hemisphere. In chapter 13, we see that, oh, excuse me, in Lehi's dream, the great and abominable, the great and spacious building is on the other side of the river of water from the rod of iron that leads to the tree. There is a body of water that separates the Western Hemisphere from that piece of land that has the great and spacious building on it. And that likely indicates the, I was going to say the Eastern Hemisphere, I'm going to say Europe, across the Atlantic Ocean, across the pond. And here's a picture from the same book, The Children's Stories, that shows Nephi getting this vision, and he's in the old world from here, but he's looking across all this water to the new world. And here's another that is similar, that is in the same book. So this proposal number two that I'm giving you is that Nephi sees the great and abominable church, the great and spacious building, on the other side of the river of water from his brother's descendants. The vision that Nephi is receiving in chapter 13 now assumes a global quality with the river of water representing what we would today call the Atlantic Ocean. Remember, it's between two pieces of land one with the tree of life and the rod of iron, and the other piece of land with the great and spacious building or the great and abominable church, as it has been interpreted. Proposal number three. This is the third and last one. First Nephi. This is going to be chapter 14, excuse me. No, it's going to be chapter 13. I didn't put that up here. It's 1 Nephi 13, verses 21 through 40, but verse 40, all of 21 through 40, all 20 of those verses talk about this, but it's synopsized in verse 40, so that's all I'm going to read for you here. And the angel spake unto me, saying, These last records, which thou hast seen among the Gentiles, it's the Bible, shallest thou, oh, excuse me, the last records which thou hast seen among the Gentiles, shall establish the truth of the first. The first is the Bible. The last records are books that will come forth to give the Bible a hand in the last days. Why does the Bible need a hand? The first, which are the 12 apostles of the Lamb, the New Testament, and shall make known the plain and precious truths which have been taken away from them. So the last records are going to make known the plain and precious truths which were taken away from the Bible. And shall make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father and the Savior of the world, and that all men must come unto him, or they cannot be saved. So what is being talked about in this entire 20-verse passage is how this book goes forth from the mouth of a Jew. It goes through the hands of the great and abominable church. The great and abominable church takes out many plain and precious truths from it. It causes the Gentiles to stumble. But in the last days, God will bring forth more books that will restore those plain and precious parts to the Bible so that people can once again be saved. In short, and I, I may have just described what I've written in the slide. We'll see. In short, Nephi sees in a vision a book that goes forth from the Jews in plainness and purity, but the great and abominable church takes things out of the book, Bible, 
that causes the Gentiles to stumble. But not to fear, God will bring forth other books that will restore the truths lost from the Bible. The question is, what elements of Lehi's dream might represent this? This whole thing that I've been talking to you about, about the Bible, and things being taken away from it and then restored in the last days. Interestingly, Lehi's dream gives us a very promising analogy. From 1 Nephi 8, there arose a mist of darkness, yea, even an exceedingly great mist of darkness, insomuch that they who had commenced in the path did lose their way, that they wandered off and were lost. Verse 24, and it came to, uh, I beheld others pressing forward, and they came forth and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron. Now get this, and they did press forward through the mist of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, even until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. Now you may be asking me, what does this have to do with the Bible? And having stuff taken out of it, being pure at first, but then having plain and precious truths taken out, which are restored only in the last days. First, we note the rod of iron represents the word of God. And as I said earlier, the word of God can be Jesus and his earthly ministry, or it can be the scriptures, and it can be specifically the Bible. First Nephi 11.25, And it came to pass that I beheld that the rod of iron, which my father had seen, was the word of God. Lehi's dream says that he sees a rod of iron that in the middle of the rod is clouded over by the mists of darkness, okay? So we don't know how long this rod is. Apparently, it's pretty long. But when you start on it, you can see it. It's plain to view. You grab it. And then you start proceeding. And somewhere after the beginning, there are all these mists of darkness that obscure the rod of iron or the word of God. If you press forward through them, though, the mists are behind you. You make it through the mists. There's the tree, but you can also see the rod of iron again because the mists of darkness are not cloaking it. In Nephi's vision, Nephi sees the Bible or word of God pure at its inception, but then many plain and precious parts are taken from it, obscuring its meaning. Those plain and precious parts are restored by other books in the last day. So here's a piece of art which actually illustrates this point very well. You can see the rod of iron leading off there to the tree of life, and you see the mists of darkness starting to hide the rod of iron, but it hides it in the middle. The first part is clear to see. The last part is clear to see of the rod of iron. It's only in the middle where it gets occluded by the mists of darkness. So here's my proposal number three for reconstructing the missing portion of Lehi's dream, i.e. what we find in 1 Nephi 13. The iron rod obscured in the middle by the mists of darkness may be interpreted in 1 Nephi 13 as the Bible or word of God starting out in plainness and ending in plainness, but being obscured in the middle. I think that's a real interesting proposal. So here's my conclusion, the symbolic representations between Lehi's dream and Nephi's vision. Number one, the tree of life from Lehi's dream is interpreted as Mary, the mother of Jesus in Nephi's vision. Number two, the fruit of the tree of life from Lehi's dream is interpreted in Nephi's vision as the baby Jesus. Number three, there's a switch of guides from the, the spirit of the Lord to an angel in Lehi's dream. In Nephi's vision, the spirit of the Lord 
Actually, let me change that, all right? The switch of guides from the spirit to the angel doesn't necessarily happen in Lehi's dream, but it does happen in Nephi's vision. And it is given the meaning uh, the baby Jesus is born, i.e. the spirit of the Lord leaving Jesus' side. Jesus is born in the vision, and Nephi gets a new guide, an angel. Okay. Number four, the rod of iron or word of God from Lehi's vision becomes Jesus' earthly ministry. Number five, the river of water from Lehi's dream becomes the baptism of Jesus in Nephi's vision. Number six, the tree of life again becomes the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross in Nephi's vision. Number seven, the great and spacious building from Lehi's dream becomes the house of Israel fighting against the early Christian church in Nephi's vision. The mist of darkness from Lehi's dream, number eight, become the mist of darkness during the Nephite destruction in Nephi's vision. Number nine, the first multitude. Here I break the, these multitudes down into its component parts, first, second, and third. Originally, I just all called them the same uh, representation or the same symbolic representation. I think they're significant enough, significant enough to count them separately here. So nine, the first multitude pressing toward the tree becomes the Nephites destroyed before Jesus comes in Nephi's vision. Number 10, the second multitude pressing toward the tree becomes the Nephites established peace for 200 years in Nephi's vision. And 11, the third multitude pressing toward the tree becomes the Latter-day Lamanites except the gospel. And the great and spacious building, again, number 12, becomes the great and abominable church in Nephi's vision. By the way, that third multitude pressing toward the tree, I have Latter-day Lamanites except the gospel. Actually, what I should write there is at the end of the world that the restoration will take place and those plain and precious parts from the Bible will be restored. And then, then the Lamanites will accept the gospel in the last days. Yes, that's what it's talking about. As well as the Gentiles from the book of Revelation. And number 13, uh, the great and spacious building for the third time from Lehi's dream becomes the formation of the great and abominable church in Nephi's vision. The river of water, number 14, again, becomes the many waters separating the Lamanites from the European Gentiles, the Atlantic Ocean. And finally, number 15, the rod of iron slash mist of darkness become the loss and restoration of precious truths from the Bible. All right, so here we have the conclusion. Um, I published these findings in 1993 in the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies, so it has been just a little over 30 years now since my findings were published. The research went on for a few years before that, obviously. I did not discover the connection between Mary and the Tree of Life until the year 2000, seven years later. And I'll tell you something that amazed me was that I could focus so hard on 1 Nephi 8, the Tree of Life dream, and Nephi's vision in 1 Nephi 11 through 14, specifically to find the connections to write that article that was published in 1993, and even focusing on it like a laser beam, I still managed to miss the rather glaring fact now that the tree of life represents Mary, the mother of God. Um, number three, finally, in conclusion, the Book of Mormon may be more complex than we originally thought. So that's what we have here. And I'm going to see if I can remove this from the screen now. There we are. Okay. So here we are at the end of the show. I hope that this has been interesting for you. I know it's been fascinating for me. It's been a number of years since I brushed this off and looked at it again. 
and put it into slideshow format for you today. I think this is very, very interesting stuff. I think that at a minimum, what we can say about the Book of Mormon is that it is a book that should be respected. I think that it is more complex than many people who don't look at it deeply may think. But upon looking at it deeply and giving some thought to what it has to say and how it's structured, it does appear that the complexities of the Book of Mormon include the fact, and I'll put it forward as a fact, even though it's a thesis, it includes at least the thesis, which I think I've demonstrated here this morning, that Nephi's panoramic vision contained in 1 Nephi 11 through 14 is itself indeed an interpretation and a special interpretation given to Nephi specifically of his father's dream of the tree of life recorded in 1 Nephi chapter 8. All right, that's all for tonight. If you like what you're hearing here at Mormon Sunday School, please click like, please click subscribe, please leave a comment. And until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon and Mormon Sunday School signing off the air.